blessing it's been in my life. I'm really enjoying the time with you guys, okay? Just wanted to make sure you knew that. Um, next week, as of this week, because Bruce took the best verses in chapter 2 and preached them already a couple weeks ago, right, Bruce? Um, we're finishing up chapter 2 today. Uh, next week, Bruce and I will be up on the stage together. We're going to have a question and answer time to kind of cap off the first two chapters to make sure we're all on the same page and things like that. So if you have some questions prepared ahead of time next week, uh, you can ask, ask them. Uh, whether or not we answer them is still up for debate, but you can still ask them. Bruce and I will be up here together. And uh, so it'll be a good time, right? It'll be a fun way, a different approach, a little bit. I just want to kind of take a little bit of a, a, a check, a, a stop, a pause, because we've covered a ton of theology in these two chapters. And those of you that have been here, you understand what I mean. And each one has been linked to the other. And so we're going to stop and we're going to do that together, Bruce and I, uh, next week up here, okay? So just make sure you're aware of that. Uh, this week, we're talking about James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, and I've chosen for the title of, the title of this week's reality check message. I love that. That's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> so, but you see, we're talking about law and order, religious intent. And the reason I want you to understand, by the way, I wanted to choose law and order, religious victims unit. I thought that would be kind of fun too, but I was told that's too edgy. And so religious intent. Now, just to make sure that you understand why I chose this title, chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 is a very legal sounding portion, a teaching area in James. And he really kind of talks about judges and the law and jury and, and trial and, and all these things. And it's very legal. And the reason he went there is because one of the struggles, one of the reasons James wrote this book to the Jews that were dispersed all around, one of the reasons he wrote it is because they were struggling mightily with the balance between the law of mercy and the law of Moses. The law of grace and the law of religion. They were struggling intensely with the balance between, okay, do we continue to follow the dietary laws? Do we continue to keep the Sabbath? Do we continue to do all these things? And if we don't, are we still Christians? If we've embraced Christ and we do embrace Christ, but how much of our religious heritage, our religious culture, are we supposed to part ways with? What part are we supposed to embrace? And there was this big struggle going on in the heart of Jewish believers all over the world. And that's the reason James wrote this book. Remember I explained to you at the very beginning that it went viral. People were passing it around. And all the Jewish believers all across the, all across the world, all across the dispersed area, in Asia and in, and in Europe and all these other places, they were getting this letter. And the reason for it was to make sure that they understood, listen, it's not about how good of a person you are religiously. It's about whether or not the implanted word of God has humbled you, broken you, crushed you, changed you, transformed you from having the overflow of filth and wickedness to an overflow of righteousness. Remember, we talked about that a little bit the last couple weeks. And so that's the reason. And so he takes that to another whole level in James chapter 2. As a matter of fact, there are portions of this passage that sound just like the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you might remember when I did the introductory message to this, I talked about the Sermon on the Mount. And how Jesus kind of says, look, if you want to follow the law, that's fine. Here it is. And if you fail in this one area, he says, you've heard in the past, you should not commit adultery. But I say, if you even lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And, he's, and you're not good enough. 
You've heard it in the past, you shall not murder. But if you just hate your brother, it's just like murder and you failed. And so what Jesus explained in the Sermon on the Mount was, if you really want to embrace the law of of Moses, that's fine, but you're never going to be able to do it. And you have to embrace the law of mercy. So with that in mind, I want to read you the passage today. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in a good space, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made judgments or distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts, filthiness, overflow of wickedness? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in their faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you're called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, in other words, who is perfect, but fails in just one point, has become accountable for all of it, including the parts you did good. So understand what this means. I'm just going to make sure to give a little pause here. If you never commit adultery, but you lie, the scripture considers you a liar and an adulterer. If you never murdered, but you judge someone based on their appearance, the scripture says you are condemned not just only as a person who judges on appearance, but also a murderer. It's all a failure. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. You see the, tran- the transition here. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. So you remember last week kind of ended with that filth sandwich. I talked about how the scripture says that, that, that for those that, that don't have the implanted word of God, we talked about how they go to a mirror and they focus on the surface, but then the filthiness and overflow of wickedness is still coming out. And then I made the transition to the fact that if, if you have received the implanted word of God and there's faith in your life and, and the word of God is changing you, what the scripture says is true religion is that you visit the orphans and the widows. And I explained to you that the reason he used orphans and widows, particularly orphans, because they were the most debased, dirty, without means people in all of society. There were no orphanages until about 500 A.D. I explained that to you. It was the church that made orphanages. Before that, they were, they were just street people. And they had all the filth and all the dirt and all the scum of society on them. And what James was saying is, go from having filthiness and overflow of wickedness to having overflow of righteousness, which gets you dirty. You see, the dirt comes from the outside. And that's what he was talking about. And then from right there, he goes from orphans and widows to the rich and the poor. Again, it's about dirt. So it's kind of like a continuation of the filth sandwich. But this week, it's a new sandwich added to that. It's a surface sandwich. Judging on the surface. Last week, it was about false religion, focusing on how you look. 
right? He looks at a mirror for just a moment and then forgets what he is and walks away. This week, it's false religion focusing on how other people look. So it's a surface sandwich this week. I love that. (laughs) Contempt of court. You know, traffic court gets me nervous. I would be horrible as a criminal. I mean, just, I'm, I get so intimidated by a police car that's behind me that I just like, okay, what, you know, I'm, you know, I don't want him to think that I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm very nervous. And I got a ticket a few years ago and uh, I had to go to court for it. It wasn't because it was a really bad ticket. I came, I think I forgot to pay it or something and I had to go to court, right? I was I was nervous. I had butterflies in my stomach the whole time. So I walk in, and I don't know if you guys have ever been to Sarasota traffic court, but the bailiff, the guy who, like, he, he's, he's the real deal. Turn your phones off. Put them in your pocket. Look at this paper. Read it carefully. If you're not prepared, you will have to come back in 30 to 45. And I'm scared. I'm thinking, like, he's going to make me do push-ups or something, right? I'm, I'm afraid. So I'm sitting there, and I started thinking to myself, what if I were in traffic court, right? And what I decided to do was just get up and say, excuse me, judge, you got that last verdict wrong. Let me explain to you what it really is. I saw the guy walk in. I saw his attitude. I'm telling you right now, you got it wrong. And I began to take the place of the judge. Well, that's what he's talking about in verse 1. Let me explain how. First of all, the definition of partiality, it's a plural word, meaning to lift up someone's face or to give them glory. To elevate them. The idea is to judge someone by the face or to exalt them strictly on on a superficial level because of a person's worth. Not based on anything you know about them, but what you see on the outside. And there's another word I want to give you a definition for. It's the word glory. And what we see here is he's talking about Shekinah, the very presence of God. Shekinah was the cloud that represented God's presence in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. That's what Shekinah is. And so James knows, remember, he's talking to Jewish people who embrace the law of Moses. And what he's explaining to you is this. Don't show partiality. In other words, don't judge. Don't elevate some in the very face of the judge. So he says the presence of God is there. That's what Shekinah means. The word glory at the very end of the passage. He says this. He says, don't show partiality as you hold to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the Lord of presence. So he's saying, in the midst of God's presence, why in the world would you want to judge somebody on the surface? You're in traffic court. He's the judge, not you. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago about the anger? The wrath of man does not produce what? The righteousness of God. Do you see how, and I explained to you how when you get angry, you are judging somebody? Do you see how this all ties together? It's all so intricately woven. It's a masterful book he's written. And it's all intricately woven. And what he's saying here is, don't become a judge of others right in the presence of the judge. When he said glory, he meant presence. Shekinah, God is there. That's what he meant. And it's contempt of court when we put ourselves in the position where we... And he's not talking about the worship service. I mean, so t- sometimes it's so easy for us to think that what he's saying here is when somebody comes into the garden worship service and they're dressed very nice, don't give them the good seat in the back. 
That's not what he's saying. He's talking about in your life. Because the presence of God is not just in this building. You know, we get, this, we get this insane idea that somehow a church building is a more holy place than other, other places. Wrong. The scripture says the sanctuary is the dwelling place of God, right? Where is the sanctuary now? Us. The scripture is very clear. He tabernacles, dwells among his people. He's not confined to a tent or a building any longer. We are the sanctuary. So the presence of God is not just confined to a worship service. It is everywhere. And here's what he's saying. Why would you want to judge someone else in the presence of God when he's the judge? So that's where I get the idea of contempt of court in verses 1 through 4. He says in verse 3, If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, Sit in a good place while you say to the poor man, Stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Could you imagine watching an episode of Judge Judy? And if somebody who's up there to be judged by Judge Judy says, Judy, get out of your seat. I'm taking over today. That's what we do when we judge others. It's contempt of court. In verse 4 through 7. Have you not made yourself judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you're called? Judges with evil thoughts. Here is another example that we talked about a few weeks ago. The filthiness and overflow of wickedness. That's what happens when we're angry, we're judging. And then when we look at somebody's surface and we make a determination about them based upon what we see on the surface, we become judges in the midst of the presence of the judge. You got that, right? With evil thoughts. And then we choose a side. He's saying, are you not choosing to side with the evilness and those who cast you into prison? The ones who blaspheme your name? So instead of choosing a side with those whom God elevates, we choose a side with those who subjugate. This is what the law of mercy does. The law of mercy is a law, a law system that God has put in place because of the work of Christ on the cross where he takes those that are in the midst of wickedness, in the midst of guilt, and he takes them and he elevates them out of their filthiness, out of their overflow of wickedness, receives the implanted word of God with humility, transforms them into people who have overflow of righteousness. And the law of mercy elevates but the law of man, the law of Moses, the law of religion subjugates. It lowers people. It says, you're guilty, you're sinful, you're not as good as me. And what happens is if we become judgmental, we choose a side. And what we are saying is, I'm not going to choose the side that elevates. I'm going to choose the side that subjugates, that puts people down, that casts dispersions upon them in the very presence 
of the judge who holds no partiality. Can you imagine our audacity? Who do we think we are? In the very presence, in the very Shekinah glory. So pick your jury, verse 8 to 13. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and convicted by the law, by the religiousness that you're embracing as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the whole law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy is to one who show no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, we can either be judged by religious perfection. You know, pick your standard. Judge as the world judges on the surface, or judge as God does through the law of mercy. Which one do you want? We can be judged by religious perfection, a focus on the surface. If you do that, you reject grace for yourself, and you have embraced works. Verse 10 and 11. You don't embrace faith, you don't embrace forgiveness, you embrace labor. And I explained to you guys in the first introductory passage that Romans says, to him who works without faith, it's counted as more debt. It'd be like working a job all week and instead of getting a paycheck, you get a bill. The Sermon on the Mount. This is, where the, this is part of the passage that sounds just like Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not, lest you be judged. Or you can pick the jury that judges under the law of liberty. Mercy, the scripture says at the end there of this passage, mercy will triumph over judgment. Let me just kind of interject this. Mercy triumphs over your filthiness. Because that's what you'll be judged on. Your filthiness. So with that in mind, I hope I've given you an explanation as to what God is saying in this passage through James. He's setting up two courts of law here. He's setting up the law of religion, and he's setting up the law of mercy. He says, you want to judge on the surface, that's fine, but then you're also going to be judged by that, and the natural process is that you'll be convicted. Or the law of mercy. So let me explain how this works. This is kind of a, an overview, a recap of the last two or three uh, sermons. I want to talk about the faith, faithless flow that he sets up. First of all, you have that filthiness and overflow of wickedness that's natural in all of us, right? Without Christ, without God intervening, that's what we are. You can argue with me if you want, but I believe in the total depravity of man, and that's who we are. And the wrath of man is what is the result. But it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And then what happens, the scripture says, according to James chapter 2, is it makes us, or James chapter 1, it focuses on our surface appearance. It's like a man who looks in the mirror and sees himself for what he is, but then goes away and forgets. And then you ignore the implanted word of God. We talked about that last week. Receive with the humility the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. In this faithless flow, you ignore the implanted word of God. 
You neglect the dirty, the orphans and the widows. By nature, because you have filthiness and overflow, the wrath of man, which doesn't produce the righteousness of God, you focus on the surface, your own surface, you ignore the implanted word of God because there's no humility, no brokenness, and because of that, you neglect the orphans, neglect the widows, you neglect the dirty, while you yourself are full of filth. You choose the pretty based upon how they're doing or what they look like. And in the process, you subject yourself to the law of religion, the law of Moses, which condemns you, which declares you guilty because you cannot fulfill it. That's the faithless flow. But then right alongside of the faithless flow that James is talking about, you see all these different sandwiches I've been sharing with you each week, right? Right alongside of that, he gives us the faithful flow. Humility. Man, I have all this filthiness and overflow of wickedness. I am disgusting. I am broken. And you receive with humility the implanted word of God, which is able to what? Save your souls. And then all of a sudden, instead of having an overflow of filthiness and wickedness, there now becomes, because of this implanted word of God, which is able, in other words, very capable of saving your souls, there's an overflow of righteousness instead of filthiness. And then your true religion gets you dirty. Because true religion is this, to visit the orphans, the dirtiest people of society, right? So you're not dirty from your overflow, you're dirty from true religion. And then you recognize the glory or presence of God. And as a result of that, you don't judge people based upon their appearance but you receive and embrace the judgment based upon humility and the law of liberty. And then mercy triumphs over what you really deserve. You see those flows? Does that make sense? You understand the flow I'm talking about here? You have the faithless flow, which results in judgment by the law of religion. Then you have the faithful flow, which results in judgment by the law of mercy. So as I close here, here's a thought thought that I'm going to leave you with. If your religion focuses on how you appear to others, right? That's what he talks about. He looks at a mirror for a moment. But true religion is he visits the orphans and the widows. If your religious focus is on how you appear to others, I would submit to you that you will likely be one who judges others on their appearance as well. And that means you don't have the implanted word of God. That means you don't have faith. But if you have been broken and you have been crushed and you have been humbled and the God has implanted the word of truth in you which is able to save your souls, it produces this overflow of righteousness which gets you dirty because you reach out to the orphans and the widows because that's true religion. And because of that, you recognize the presence of God. You would never put yourself in a position of judge knowing that the judge is right here all the time. And instead, what happens is instead of judging people on their surface, you judge them based upon the same law that you want to be judged by, the law of mercy, the law of liberty. So my encouragement to you is look at your religion. Look at your life. How concerned are you about your appearance to others? It may very well be a sign that you are also concerned about their appearance. Right? 
instead of what they need, which is mercy, which, by the way, is what you need. Let's stand as we continue.